What's up, humans? This is the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rehovchek. Big thank you for checking this out. That was Matt Coatney. Matt is the Chief Information Officer in the legal sector, law firm out in Ohio, co-author of The Human Cloud, and co-host of The Human Cloud Podcast. And today, we get into how change makers are using artificial intelligence and the freelance economy to transform work, and perhaps more importantly, how you can be a part of it. I started this podcast to ask the tough questions around how revenue is created, the questions no one else was asking, and to better understand the uncomfortable conversations that followed. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll bring you a revenue human shaking up the business of sales, regardless of title. If you like what you're hearing, do tell a friend. I take that as the highest compliment. And with that, enjoy. Oh my gosh, Matt Coatney, welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. I am so excited. I'm so excited. I'm thrilled. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this all week. And that is not an exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me try. Okay, so I've I've structured well. One after reading the word sweatpants in your book for the first time today, just like going, I was like, nice. you know what, son of a bitch, I'm going to put some sweatpants on for today. <laughs> so like, it. here we go. We got some All sweatpants right. and Rocking a pretty uh, koi fish pond for us. Okay, so let's get the business out of the way. the yeah. The target audience is the experienced tech seller. Right. So we can expand this to like marketing, customer success, anyone that's really client facing Um, theme of the show, obviously conversations about uncomfortable conversations in in tech sales or really work, I think, is is a a more fitting frame for this one. The there is only one rule, and that is that there are no fucking rules. Excellent. This is a judgment free zone. This is a mistake friendly zone. This is a tangent friendly zone and we we keep it real around here. <sighs> I like, so I made a list actually, before I do this, have you, did you get a chance to listen to any of the episodes? Do you know what you've gotten? I did. I, I know what I'm in for. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why, and that's why I'm looking forward to it. I mean, my, my, you know, majority of my career has been in rather, you know, conservative traditional industries and you sort of got to, you know, got to put on the political face and all that. And it's just, you know, it's nice to be able to shine and have my true authentic shell self shine through. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about that, about t- like putting the polish on <laughs> no, and, you know, all. leaving the F-bombs at the door. Okay. Yes. And your sweatpants. <laughs> um, okay. So the things that I wrote down um, that we could possibly start with. So obviously sweatpants, but we could check that off the list. Um the book, Matt, Jesus Christ, the book. So listeners, the book is called The Human Cloud, um, written by the Matthews, Matthew Cotney, obviously, and Matthew Matello. Is that how he says it? I think it's Matola. We'll go with that. Matolo. I always forget how to spell it. So I think motto, like like you have a motto and then add a lot. The okay. So, okay. That's I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, so there's the book. There's the TED Talk, right? AI is a force for good. Um, we could talk about obviously legal tech and our, our, (laughs) our background with law firms. Um, 
Uh, we could talk about, I mean, I, so I wrote down chapter seven in particular, like, which is listeners, this about the how. And also I was a big fan of this one because at the end, the Matthews suggest um, books, right. To read that reinforce each of the concepts. And it was the only chapter of Matt that I read that, that I had read all of the books, which I think was nice. trillion dollar coach, <laughs> uh, the lean startup. And, and it was one of the other ones, but I love the how I love the how, um, Gosh, and, like, and I would say too, like, like tech selling, I've been, you know, in my day job, right. And in industry has been largely either consuming tech or, mm-hmm. or selling tech or right. both. Right. Uh, so absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, okay. I'm, I'm thrilled. We can t- go whatever direction you want first. Oh my gosh. All right. So I was thinking about, so there's more on the list, but I like it. I it, obviously I wrote down change makers with the word heart next to it. I've been using the word change agent. I don't think I'm going to keep that word anymore. I think I'm going to steal yours. So change maker is coming with me. Um, I, I mean, just also too, Matt, like I just started, I've been at the crossroads of this decision, right? Go back in. Mm-hmm. And I just, signed on for a project and it's like so fucking cool it's and i'm it's the project i've i haven't been this excited about a project for a long time and it's an eight month span and so like it it, the whole book and the principles around the book are like extra meaningful for me at this moment in time because not only does it reinforce the decision that i just made but it's reading like a how-to you know, kind to to scale it out, yeah. and I I mean, okay, so but anyway, I I want to bring well, it back. To, yeah, yeah, I, I would say, I mean, I, I think that historically, and like I know I do this in my own life, we just sort of tried to compartmentalize. You can either have like this nice steady corporate job, or you can be like this real risk of risk seeking like entrepreneur, adventurer, freelancer, and you and you you know you write your own rules and all that. And and what what I'm seeing is. That's not like that stark distinction does not exist anymore. Um, There are so many aspects of like freelancing mentality or entrepreneurial mentality you can bring into a corporate role and then vice versa, right? Like it's useful to think of if you're a freelancer, thinking of yourself as like a business and think approaching it like a business and having plans and all those boring things that freelancers always want to do, but they're really helpful. I mean, Um, even, even like, like I think of my time with, with the P3 crowd, right? The practice innovation and, and with Catherine Allman McDonough on the process design and process improvement and legal. And like, even the, I know you've done some work as a CTO around like decision mapping and and AI, (sighs) but the building blocks that I learned about how to deconstruct the work and looking at who does what when and looking for the lowest cost resource and or and it so separating it out by scale and and pulling in people to help i mean it just all really tied beautifully together but anyway so that said how did you here's what i'm thinking i want to talk about i was thinking racking my brain trying to remember how you and i met and i didn't get there so at one point i do want to bring that in because i'm curious to see what you remember but also like I, I'm far more curious to talk about the book and start with the book. Like, how did you come to this, these principles and this, these ideas yeah. really that I, I've never seen put them together like this, Matt, like never. And I, I read uh, voraciously. And so like, 
in many ways, not to say like there's anything new under the sun, right, which is not generally the case, but I've never seen them weave together in this way. And I mentioned it because now I've my brain is racking on how we can apply this to in a go to market space. Right. So sales, for example, or selling software, right, SaaS, it. And so I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm so really much, interesting to extract from you like oh, that, but like, how did you, yeah. How did you, I mean, how did this book come to be? Yeah, it, it started, um, well, it started with uh, really just pure serendipity and a stroke of me scratching my own creative itch. So I, uh, as you know, I'm like a tech executive person. I, I have not touched code. I haven't done creative writing in many, many years. Yeah. And, and so I turned to freelance uh, to actually scratch the creative itch. Like I wasn't doing, I, I wasn't doing it from a financial perspective. I wasn't doing it for anything other than I'm I'll say it bored um, in, in one role doing sort of administrative management kind of thing. So I'm like, let me scratch this itch and do some side projects. And so I did. And, and one of those was writing a, uh, so I used a site Upwork, which is right. where a lot of freelancers now go to get work. And I, I just pitched like, Hey, I'm looking for some creative writing projects on technology and how it's transforming work. Sort of just threw it out there and let it stick. Yeah. Uh, and Matt Matola <laughs> responded and said, Hey, I'm working on this white paper uh, about AI and tech and transformation. And I'm not a tech guy. Like I need someone that understands this stuff and can talk to it. Uh, so that's how we, we did a small project together. Uh, we really hit it off. He is hilarious. He's like 15 years younger than me. So it's just a funny dynamic. You saw the like, picture, the picture that your wife is jealous of. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like I'm a curmudgeon old conservative guy, which I'm not really, but like I'm the old guy and he's like the young hip. So anyway, super fun. And we just like, we just got to riffing on all of these topics. And so to your point, like, I think where it all came together was we saw that the world he was living in and the world that I was living in, there was more overlap than anybody had really talked about before. And with the way, you know, with the way things are going, not only are they overlapping, but they're like colliding to the point where I think the old institutions that again were sort of stark one side or the other are starting to blend into one weird hybrid mess, um, and and so we had the we saw the opportunity to like talk about it. But so so the real reason it became a book was mm-hmm. because uh, I had no intentions of doing that. I've always had it as a bucket list item, but was not on my radar. And mm-hmm. uh, Matt goes, uh, so famous last words. I have a book. It's mostly written. I just need, I need a co-author to make it legit. Are you in? And I was like, well, shit. Yeah. You already did all the work. <laughs> Great. I'll yeah. sign on. Yeah, yeah. Total lie. Like <laughs> what he had was a book was like 50 pages of like brain dump into a Google doc. And, <laughs> and we basically rewrote everything. So there, wow. there we are. Yeah. <sighs> wow. I, I mean, and I, I remind me. I want to ask about how the hell you got Dan Pink on the like the blurb on the cover, which is baller. Um, but like, my mind is still blown. Like I, I'm looking at the notes. I'm looking. I take. I I I speak and communicate with books while I'm reading in the margins, and I just. I don't think I've ever been as talkative or engaged in the margins as I was with this one. I mean, it, Matt. Mm, okay, so I'm curious. Like, where, what, 
like to timestamp it, right? So when I yeah. think about COVID and the impact that COVID has had, one on like the human connection side of things, right? Just talk about like a universal experience that we can all, you know, dialogue around and relate right. to in one way, shape or form, right? So in many ways, uh, a unifying event. <sighs> And then I think about the impact on the workplace, right? So I just went in, I'm on the Jersey shore now. I left right before COVID, right? My sister actually was going through a divorce and I had been in the city. Um, and so, yeah, it's about like an hour and a half bus ride without traffic, right? But during the summertime, you know, generally speaking, that that's, you can go ahead and add an extra hour onto it if, if, you're, if you're trying to get to the beach. Uh, one way, mm, one way. And on the way back, now, mind you, the city trip was excellent yesterday, right? Aside from, you know, it took me two days to work into the heels, right? Whatever. And like, uh, no comment on the tight jeans, you know, that were a little bit tighter than I remember. <laughs> but I, I was sitting on the bus on the way back and I, you know, choosing between the bus or the train, whatever. But I was sitting on the bus and there wasn't a universe where this was a, a viable option on a like mm -hmm. commuting right ever like ever <laughs> ever again and it just i and so anyway now when i think about covid and and again the question is going to be like the timeline right because in many ways the, the 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 events that happened last year over the past two years certainly make this book what already was very cool and relevant about a, a you know a hundred x that mm -hmm. i <sighs> There, these cracks in the way that we've been working, right? The way that corporations work, the way that we treat people like cogs, and whether this is these are engineers on a tech team or you know sellers on a sales floor, it we've made these decisions one on top of the other on top of the other for decades now. And what happened, and at least from where I'm sitting last year, is that these cracks, right, that had always been there, literally busted apart at the fucking seams. And they're so big and so obvious that and, and we can all see them and that there's no denying that the cracks exist anymore. Like we're all looking and there somebody we're just fell into one of yes. them over there. Like, <laughs> are we able to can we talk about it yet? And so, like, I'm curious about the timeline. Like, when did you you had to have started it before COVID or did we ex? But like, how did that go? No. No, you, no, you're absolutely right. Like it was, uh, first off, I a hundred percent agree. Like this is one of those moments that is, uh, for our generation and for our kids, like our, the young generation, right. My kids, like this will be so clear looking back in history, like a definitive point in time where we say everything after COVID fundamentally different than the way it was before. It, it is that disruptive and, and so many, so many lives. Um, but the, the book itself actually happened completely pre-COVID. Really? Uh, the timing was was eerie. So we had this germ of an idea probably four years ago. We started building notes. We wrote, uh, well, what's it like a book summary, right? To like try to shop it around. We And you always hear these stories. It's true. We shopped it around to, I think, 20 different. We had an agent who's wonderful. Um, he shopped it around to about 20 different agencies over the course of over a year. Uh, we got 19 no's. Uh, and then we had one yes, which happened to be an editor that had done freelancing in the past. <laughs> and she said, this rings true to me. I right. understand this. I know this. I've lived this. Right. And, and so we signed on and we wrote the book pretty much through uh, 2019. So it took about a year with editing and all of that. 
Um, we turned it into the wow. publisher. Wow. Uh, so we, yeah, we landed with HarperCollins and uh, which was brilliant. Amazing. And we uh, we dropped the copy at the end of January 2020. That is incredible. And and what a what a year it was after that. That is incredible. Yeah. We that is incredible. About, it was it was just eerie. We talked about whether we should go back in, sort of crack it back open and add something about this that we're experiencing. And we, we thought about it and we decided not, and, not and to people advise us not to, because it, it makes it, it a we, perennial seller, right? It's the, the themes. It yeah. Right. A timeless timely, Matt timeless, is what, that's right. Yeah. Is what I'm thinking. It's timeless. And so I think it's Ryan holiday. He wrote his perennial yeah. seller and yeah. the project that I'm, I'm referring to. So I just, so, you know, in the same way, like your Ted talk is, you know, AI for good, I have spent a lot of time over the past year really thinking about what I wanted to do and what, and so, but anyway, this idea of selling ideas is, and like, like change maker ideas and not just selling them. You use the word bright spot in your Ted talk. Like uh, I believe I think of the Heath brothers and made to stick and they, they address hunger too. I think it was in India and, but the idea of a bright spot, right. And socializing what works like this is. So anyway, Oh, God damn. I, there was a point where I just, I think I, I look over and I see my dog. She's like, wants to come hang out with me. And I lost my train of thought. Poor Lola. She's going to have <laughs> to wait. So, speaking of tangents, uh, uh-huh. I was listening to a podcast just yesterday and they had uh, it's David Byrne from Talking Heads. Okay. And who's brilliant, by the way, and such a wonderful, wonderful guy. But he was, he was talking about, he has a, like a news site that is only positive stories. Oh, and yeah, and, and solutions was his point. It wasn't yes. like just feel good, warm and fuzzy, Talk about the it. Cute teddy bear thing. It was like, here's something that's actually working to say, improve diversity in cities or to, um, you know, fight r- racism, things like that. It was just like, here's things that could work here. And it's actually working. It yeah. was really neat. Yeah. And so, yeah. <sighs> oh my gosh. So okay. Speaking of tangents or the book. Yes. Um, totally, totally coincidental, the timing of it, but, um, you're right. I mean, I, we talked about the, the way that, you know, I, I don't hold um, necessarily like individual companies or especially individual managers necessarily like I, I give them a little bit of slack, right? Like unless they're really, really bad, but I've had, a, I've been fortunate to work in a lot of good companies and a lot of good managers. So it's not the individual, it's the system. And, and it's just the system was built and this is not just sort of corporate life, but education too. Everything was built sort of with the 20th century manufacturing age in mind and a little bit of the information age, but we're so far past that. And I think the thing that's really like should be humbling to so much of us is we think of, and I used to, when I was younger, think of these institutions as it's always been this way. There's always been corporations and they've mm-hmm. always been big and they've always run this way. And we've always gone K through 12 and then aspire to college. Those are all institutions that really only took hold in the last like 150, 200 years. Like that's not forever. Yeah. <laughs> we've been, we've been people a lot longer than that. Yeah. Um, and, and so anyway, the, the point being that, that, you know, what we hold on to as being constant and definitive in a lot of our institutions, like this has accelerated to your point, the notion that it's, it's not right. Like this doesn't mean that we always have to work this way. And I think that with the advent of technology and with freelancing and the way they're starting to intersect, we'll all ultimately become uh, masters of our own 
careers of our own set of projects and experiences that we work on. And it will look more like a portfolio of great work and great relationships that happen maybe over three companies, maybe over 30 companies, maybe over 300 clients. Like the scale doesn't matter as much as it's the experiences, right? You can do 10 amazing projects in the same company, or you can do 10 amazing projects with 10 totally different clients. There's nothing wrong with either, right? Oh my gosh. It's, I love that, Fran. Like, I think that, I mean, there's just the way the work, the brain is hotwired. We, we think in binaries, right? We learn in binaries, opposites, right? We understand what something is by, by looking in, at what, yeah. Here in the West. Here, here in the West. West it is great not that point. way in other other cultures. Great which is point. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Great no, point. I, I, I catch myself like that too. Well yeah. said. Well said. Thank you for that. Um, and what I like every every time you speak, I'm reminded of things that you you guys wrote about, and they, I'm they're just like hitting me. So many of them that I can't even decide where where to bring it. But like I, I love this idea that that you guys touch on that where. The, the project of like you, you tied the idea of projects and working on projects and testing with different projects to skill development. And like, I think of, so Matt, I, when I, um, when Viewable was acquired, I did, I moved out to San Francisco, right. And did some consulting on the go-to-market scene, right. It was affiliated with, with Code for America. Um, and also, oh, right. Phenomenal organization. I worked out of their headquarters. And so I, I saw you had a Tim Riley book in one of the the reading sections and I hadn't read it yet, but I was like, oh, there he is. Okay. Um, but I, I then remember, like I married that with my time with Catherine and, and on process improvement. Like I remember we were working on a project for a, it was a legal aid organization out in Chicago. And since it was a nonprofit and we were working on like content creation, right? How to optimize the content creation. This was an organization that was feeding um, materials uh, both for the public, right? Through their own channels, as well as other legal aid organizations around the state. And so it was like a high impact, but they had limited resources, right? So we we created this hybrid project that allowed for us to like kind of mash up um, like phases of the project to kind of collapse it down. Anyway, we spent a full flipping day with the entire project team of eight people on like getting at the root cause. Okay. It was my first time doing this, right? To learning how to facilitate these projects. And Catherine comes and whispers in my ear, and there's, they're, they're really at the end of the day, there's only it's almost always communication or skill development. And in my head, like, I was like, I, I pushed back. It's like shockingly, right. For anybody that knows me, it was like, well, one, that can't possibly be true. Number one. And number two, if it is true, the, why the hell did we just spend all day? Right. Like we, there's a million, like I had, we were like, painstakingly picking and choosing which exercises to run them through during our like condensed time period with them. And, and Catherine, she had something brilliant. She was like, like, if you do not bring a team of people through this exercise, like they won't see the connection between the communication or between the skill development. And it changed how I saw everything map moving forward Mm -hmm. around skill development. Now marry that with my own like ADHD. Right. So I have stories where I'm, like I've spoken about them on a bunch of episodes, but like I've been trying to hack my own brain and like how to learn better and stronger and retain yeah. more right for as long as I can remember. But I 
then pivoted into adult learning, right? So sales enablement and have been focusing now, built out two departments and have been focusing on skill development and creating experiences where people learn not only whatever knowledge or skill you're trying to instill at like where, where it's retained across the board at a high degree, at least 80%, right? Or my job's not done, but also where they can learn about themselves and how they learn so that they can do it again in the future. And so when I see the the way that you guys baked skill development into the the book and the instructions in the book in a way that it didn't impede someone from starting this journey based on what they don't currently know right now. And, And you did so with humor. I mean, I was laughing out loud, like on every other, like I had to, I had to, like, it was hysterical but, and it just, I like, I couldn't, I had to stop myself every time I wanted to take a picture of a passage and send it to somebody that I thought of because that happened so frequently. Like I wouldn't have been able to get through the book. And I just, I don't, I, I guess I want to say thank you, but I don't see people talking about skill development or leveling up mm-hmm. your skills in a way that is so inclusive, mm-hmm. um, yeah. like you guys did in the book. And and I, and it is just well, one, it's motivating for myself, right? I spoke about other people and like wanting to, but like as someone that is now just not just venturing back into project work. Um, but thinking about how to make it bigger and sustainable and ask the new questions like portable health insurance, like, which is one of the things you guys <laughs> yes. wrote about. Um, and so it was just, I mean, thank, amazing, thank amazing. Uh, I you know. Thank you. I mean, I, I'm just so this is the kind of like impact that we were hoping for when we set out and, and you just never know. And I mean, it's super, super humbling because um like Matt and I both like this, this was a labor of love. It hadn't, there, there was no sort of economics to it. <laughs> like we were purely, <laughs> you don't write books to but, make millions. <laughs> believe me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You crunch the math and you're like, Oh, only 500,000 people buy this book. 500,000 people are going to buy the book. Like for, yeah, no, not that. So, but it was all about getting this message out in a way that would be helpful for, for as many people as we could. So yeah, definitely like the, the humor was both of us. Uh, we have very different humor, like quirky humor in different ways. Yeah. Um, but the educational piece, that was, that was Matt, the other Matt, like he really impressed upon the importance of that from day one, because he has that similar mindset and all that he does. It's all about um, giving practical advice but also meta advice, like advice about how to grow as a, as a person and as a learner, not just about the specific task. Oh, so it's not just about of, performance. And it yeah. is also about growing as a human being. Guess what, friends? Yes. They're not zero sum. When oh, you work on growing as a human being, your, your work product and the relationships that you form while yes. delivering products and services for others um, also rises yeah. with the tide. Yes, I, you yes. know, you can taste it. I can taste the intention that someone knows how to create and put ideas like meta ideas into highly actionable um, buckets. Uh, well, one, it's physically listed out at the end of every chapter, like with with the words, I dare you. I mean, come on. You might as well just put like double dog yeah. dare me because like I'm going to take that dare. <laughs> Are you calling me chicken? Yeah. 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 I love it. I love it. Okay. So Matt, how did we meet? Like, do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you touched on it earlier uh, or you, when you said, so we met when you were either still at 
uh, Thompson Reuters or you were transitioning into Viewabil. Okay. I was at Wilmer. Wilmer. And okay. So yes. Yeah, so it was, and I we had connected sort of just about you were doing like concept research and, and bouncing ideas off of what you know from from a law firm IT's perspective, right? And okay. like you probably had a lot of doors shut on you, I imagine, because um, firms weren't terribly thrilled with the business model, though it was at the end should have been. Are you talking about viewable or what I was viewable? <laughs> yes, and and but for me, I was like, I I was like, I'm happy to have that conversation because yeah. it it's the same thing. Like in IT, I, I always advise um, you know my teams and, and colleagues that I've worked with in the past, like don't be a blocker. Like the, there are the old way of thinking about technology was where this like castle, this fort, we're going to mow everything off. We're going to say no to everything, or we're going to take a really long time. And then, and, but people are just going to live with it because they can't get it anywhere else. Right. Well, and then they're, and then they're wondering why there's this thing, shadow IT, where people just sort of like bypass, run a credit card and they're off and running with Dropbox. Right. Well, no, duh. Like, because right. you told them no, or you told them it was going to be a year and a half before you could give them that. Right. So, so it's the same thing. Yeah. So that's how we met. If I recall correctly, <laughs> but it was like seven years ago. Seven years ago. Okay. It's a, that was a long time ago. Lifetime so listeners, ago, yeah. like, don't you cry for me, Argentina. We I did get a lot of it slipped in my face. But I did also increase Kager by 450% yes. during my time there. And it's grit, grit and resilience, right? And um I'm laughing, but I also empathize too, Matt. Like, because I'm laughing remembering um uh, the, we talked about this when we spoke last, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago, but the Wolf and CIO's clothing, right? The Gartner book that talks about that, this idea of being an offensive minded um, CTO like you are versus like a defensive minded um, IT executive, it, it, it shifted the way. Like I never experienced, I know that like when I speak of this book, I, I share often that you could take the word like uh, you know, like CIO out and put CMO in there, but oh, yeah. it was not as hard and as, as abrupt, like the door, the, like the, the force with which the doors were slammed was never hard, <laughs> but I also, but I yeah. learned though. And, and I really, you know what, frankly, I really empathized because do you remember the Panama papers? Oh yes. That mm-hmm. was right as, as that was going down. And so I, I, I really did have a lot of empathy for those that were afraid of, the risk right, of right. things and also of yeah. things that they didn't know. Well, and I, I think you're right. I mean, it, it's changing incentives. And and I will say that I've noticed a, a fundamental shift in my peer group that I used to be the outsider and one and maybe a hundred with my kind of mentality, but that has shifted considerably to where it's probably an even mix, if not tilting a bit more toward this sort of change maker mindset for a CIO. And, and the difference has just been, you know, IT used to be perceived as infrastructure and a cost center. Right. So absolutely. Like you don't want your systems to go down. That is still table stakes, but it's a lot easier to do that. That that was 15 years ago. Um, but it was also like you, you were just, you were a cost center. So you managed cost and anything new, different, risky, et cetera. Um, and, and the CIOs of your didn't have a seat at the table, um, from being more strategic. And what has changed is obviously with everything becoming technology, like it's hard to do anything anything without a technology component anymore. And so the CIO has very much become more of a strategic enabler and has that seat much, much more than, than we did as a discipline 10, 15 years ago. And, and, I think it, C- and I think CMO, you're exactly right. Same thing, same thing. It used to be advertising and marketing, and now it's social media engagement, brand, 
And that stuff matters so, so much more in this connected world than it probably did 30, 40 years ago, maybe. Big time. I, I mean, I think so it, with sales enablement, that is one of the, so I'm thinking of a book written by a guy named Roderick Jefferson. It's called Sales Enablement 3.0. And it talks about um, the function and where it's going, but it's in a way that takes down silos, right? Highly collaborative yes. and aligning um like it's it's really a, a broader version of when sales wins, everyone <laughs> wins. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's coming from the the top as opposed to like a, a spin-off function of like of sales, which then right. makes collaborating across different department lines like harder, right? When you're right. At, but anyway, I've I think about legal often. And I think about and I'm curious, like, what's the, I'm glad to hear that things are changing over, over in my favorite vertical. Um, but well, like, what's the state of tech over there? What's the state yeah. of like, when I think of, oh, I don't think we have ever spoken about this. Do you remember Hire and Esquire? Yes. Yes. So I spent a little bit of time there too. So okay. it really kind of plays in nicely with both from both the tech perspective and this, this like freelance, not freelance, right? Cause this book right. is so much bigger and more powerful than that. Um, but like what's what's the state of of legal right now? Like and and yeah. specifically as it relates to tech, and I'm thinking of Ross and like all that shit. Mm-hmm. I, have we made any progress in the past seven years? <sighs> it is a it's. Uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think there's an easy way to sum it up. So I'm going to go a little deep for a moment, but uh, it's it's mixed. Um, I would say that from a tech perspective. Uh, most firms these days and having worked so prior to where I'm at now, I was in a, a legal IT consulting role. So I, my, we had about 60 or 70 clients um, that I personally worked with and interacted with. And so I got to see a wide range. Uh, I think we've made it past the, you know, not investing in tech for the most part, like the security threats that are there, then the reliance on technology, like the investment is there. We're doing the right things. Everybody's talking about, you know, video and collaboration and, and teams and all that kind of good stuff, which is great. It's a great start. Um, but it's still just viewed as tools on a desktop and where I think the real transformation is going to come in the industry over the next couple of years. And I actually, I was, I was on a, a legal tech vendors, uh, virtual keynote yesterday. So I talked a bit about this, Okay, that what happened in, that doesn't surprise me at all, by the way, smart legal tech vendor. Good (laughs) job. Whoever you are. Well, there you go. Yeah. Without name dropping. Um, but, uh, it was just check my social feed later. You'll see. Uh, uh, it was, we were talking about this, the, the law firms now, I think are, are starting to fundamentally, shift toward what professional services organizations, like if you think about when, you know, the Accentures and the bearing points and the Deloitte world of uh, Deloitte's of the world came out from under the umbrellas of the tax advisory groups like KPMG and, and yes. uh, what is it? Uh, Arthur Anderson, things like yes. that. Um, it took almost a decade probably, but, but they fundamentally shifted in a couple ways and it had to do like what we're talking about here. They became more global, scalable, decentralized, uh, virtual, you had, it was much more centered around experience and resource management and project delivery. Yeah. 
and sounds so familiar. sounds familiar. <laughs> so I'm like, so this is great because we have an industry that looks a lot like legal that legal can just look to and just say, we don't have to go through all the pain. Just do what they did. Yeah. No need to reinvent the wheel friends. Yes, please don't, please don't. Because it, it really is around skill development, skill assignment, like workload management and, and efficient delivery. And the thing is so efficient delivery, I think law firms have gotten more in tune with over the past 10 years because of clients beating their heads over the wall. Um, but when it comes to skill development, all that, there's a conversation going on right now, probably in every law firm in the country about, because of COVID, when and how do we come back to the office? What does that look like? And, and the countervailing theme is, well, we're going to have this lost generation of lawyers because they're not in the office five days a week, sitting on the, you know, on the, and, and there's a bit of a patriarchal theme to this, sitting on the knee of the lawyer, like listening to all the sage advice and seeing it happen in action and, and those kind of things. And I think back to my time in consulting, where it was largely virtual and distributed across the continent and the world. I think I turned out okay. So I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's possible, right? You can develop skills in people virtually. It takes a little bit different of a finesse, but it's totally doable, no matter what the field. Uh, and and I just uh, just was listening Isn't to- that's so true? Especially like I think yeah. of all the schools and the teachers that are in the process of figuring this out on the kid thing, yes. but it's, Absolutely. you know, I'm, finish your thought um, and then I'll, I'll decide whether or not I want to go yeah. back in and take okay. a swing at yeah, the yeah. partners D- that are in, not changing. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, the last thought I'll share is that I, I just heard some research on literally right before we got on the call, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Adam Grant, who's like the psychologist guy. Uh, Warden, so like, oh, he's yeah. my favorite. He's, that was the only brilliant. thing that would have been cooler than uh, Dan Pink on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Dan. Uh, no so offense, Dan. You're yeah, awesome too. Yeah, yeah. My favorite sales book. Yeah, absolutely. So it was uh, it was great that uh, he so his, his research was that they have actually studied pre-COVID the best work arrangement in terms of productivity, job satisfaction and skills growth was 50-50. So it's like there's your rubric, 50-50, half in the office, half at home. He said that you get the best of both worlds, you develop in different ways but you get that spread, right? And that's the ideal. Obviously, if you can't do the ideal and you are in a virtual world only, terrific. There's still ways to compensate for that. I worked from home exclusively uh, when I was at a startup for three years, managing a team that was in office in a different office. And you have to compensate. There's, but you can, your skills you can do. Um, so it's doable. You just have to work a little harder. Yeah. And I mean, so I don't want to go into this now, but I think that there's, for those listening, there's a, the geographic implications of what the the next phase of work looks like is the tip of the iceberg, friends. And if the culture does not support an inclusive and equitable access to skill development, um, it, and just as one example, right, that then the impact that the human beings that are considering working on the team want to have and growth that they want to make as as people uh, as well as professionals they're not going to stay and so assuming that talent is a key part of the strategy and hopefully it is hopefully it is um i would just encourage everybody to look at uh, you know a, like take the next step forward past you know which part of 
Like, do we have everybody come in or do we have everybody stay home or, you know, what's the mix in between? And I know that you're there, Matt, Matt, what? Okay. So now in, so the, I saved the last 10 minutes for my last two questions, but in the, like putting on your legal tech and CTO hat that was also working with the go-to-market teams, right? Marketing sales. How can like in from where you're sitting, like how can how does this book apply to selling, right? If you're a seller and you want to look at taking advantage or participating in the human cloud, right? Using those skills. Um, what would you, what would you say? What would you, and I don't have any answers here. Like, and I'm, I literally am just starting to think through this, but I'm curious, like, what, what, what do you think? What have you seen and what would you say? Yeah. So I'll take it in three parts. Um, the first is just good old fashioned selling advice that is irrespective of it being technology or not. And that's be earnest, be honest, be sincere, be, be authentic and focus on helping solve problems. and and the rest comes, right? I cannot tell you how many, in my new role, I've been here four months, I, how many unsolicited, generic, but trying to sound warm and like personalized, but you can tell it's not, emails I get from vendors and it's delete, 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 right? Contrast that with you know a personal outreach, not asking about a sale, not saying, I want to talk to you about this, just being like, hey, saw you're over here, congratulations. Let's have a conversation. Um, and that conversation has nothing to do with, right? But it's earnest and it's not like, oh, I just saw that you did. It. It's like, no. Um, so I, well, Matt, I'm effective. sorry. I, yeah, I yeah. don't think I was, I didn't, I didn't do a good enough job communicating. That's sorry. great. Listeners know that, that this is 100% of me. Don't, nothing to be opposed. Uh, <laughs> this is me. Um, yeah. I support yeah, everything yeah. that Matt just said when it comes but. to how we reach out to executives, right? Read something that they did, make it personal, make it fucking yeah. real, right? Shocking. Yes. Okay. Done. But Matt, yeah, like if right. I want as a freelancer, right? I'm a seller. Yeah, yeah. I sold for 10 years, right? Just as an example, I sold for 10 yeah. years. I now want to look at um, putting a product offering together okay. as a seller. What now? What now? So how do you apply this? The Yeah, the, the, the principles in the book. Principles in the book. Right, to sales skills. To right, sales right, skills. right. Got it, got it, got it. So, um, huh, well, uh, the first thing is uh, it, we talk about 10x, like 10x output. So figuring out ways to maximize the value you're bringing. And a lot of that has to do with looking at the what's on your plate your tasks and saying, what are those things that I'm uniquely good at? And what are those things that I can get someone else to do and thinking far, far broader than someone on your team, right? Think about what you can give to a freelancer that could run with that so that you can focus on the selling side. What can you do to maximize content generation? And then also what technologies are out there? What automation tools are out there? to simplify what you're doing, to personalize what you're doing, and then those types of things. So it's that was what the, the eye-opening moment for me in a lot of this, and it, I use it in my own life now, is uh, focus on what you're best at and farm out what you're not. <laughs> unless, unless you want to get better at something because that's a personal desire, like me and podcasting. So I'm going to do more of this rather than outsourcing because I enjoy yeah. it and I want to learn. 
Yeah. Does that so help? It does a little bit. And I, so I'm thinking like, so lead gen is yeah. one that comes to mind as something that was common to outsource, but it also doesn't work. Right. Yeah. So look at, I, but then I think of like, I just read a post this morning by Rachel May and she's pretty, a pretty brilliant, strong, badass woman. And she went after this idea of like prospecting, like those that are really great. We call them top one percenters. And, um, the top one percenters, the way that she phrased it in the post, it's like they're, they're not good at prospecting because they're so good at, I don't want, I want to say networking, but they have relationships. They've put themselves in a place where they've become a subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. And so they use that network and they use whether it's a speaking post, like the speaking circuit or, or whatever to open up opportunities. Um, but now I'm, I'm taking, I'm thinking about like, how can a seller participate in the freelance economy or the gig economy or in the human cloud to uh, escape also the toxic work environments that they're operating into? And so like, it's, I, I'm thinking about ways to leverage those connections and those relationships within an industry group. I don't know. I'm just talking out loud yeah, here. Yeah, I was seeing if yeah. you had anything, but again, well, I mean, I'll, what, yeah, yeah. Hearing what you were just describing, the top prospectors are consultants. Yeah. And, and maybe that's the right answer is, is start to develop consulting skills, take on side gigs to get that experience, you know, not stay out of the industry you're in, et cetera. So you're not, you know, conflict of interest and all that good stuff, but get that experience. That's what I did. Just started dabbling and, the more, um, the more you get good at it, that you can discover, is that something you want to do full-time? Is it something that's just you're using for skill development? But no, absolutely. Because if you're in a toxic environment, find a way to get out, right? Yeah. Find another role, yeah. freelance or otherwise. Um, but you know, the, if you're not in a toxic environment, you like where you are, look to see where you can build that stronger network through freelancers. Because what I find is you start to build this tribe. And we talk about that in the book, you build this tribe of trusted relationships that you can call on. And that's like, again, you, you can't do all this by yourself. So have that support system and that can be formal or informal. Um, I love yeah, it. Yeah. I love it. No, that was perfect. And even when you said something like, like two iterations <laughs> prior to this around the problem, right? Focus yeah. on a problem. Um, and, yeah, when we last talked, I used the example that, uh, I, I generally, I was not looking forward to a call with a vendor that were one of our existing vendors. So it was more farming than hunting, but, uh, I was not looking forward to it. I was hoping to get off early. Cause I think it was right before our call Okay, and, and it was just like, man, okay, I got to go talk to this person. And, and I got on the call and a half an hour zipped by and I was like, oh shoot, I've got to go. Well, the conversation was, and, and we didn't, we didn't really talk about you know, it wasn't like that formulaic vendor relationship kind of conversation. It was very organic. It was very thoughtful. He was clearly a subject matter expert in the space mm -hmm. and, and absolutely like hundred um, percent, like the more you can do that and, and learn to I'm be sure, human, <laughs> learn to be human. And I'm sure he did that not, you know, he did that with a lot of practice and right. likely with a support system. And he probably had a group behind him that may or may not have been employed by the company, you know, helping him understand that. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, you said about if if we're in a toxic environment. So right now, the state of affairs on sales floors, especially in tech companies, 
mm-hmm. not good. Um, not good. In it's, I think the there's some debate about where the numbers are, but I think it's in the 40th percentile. This is what I'm hearing. And there's a, an organization called um, RepView that is actually measuring mm-hmm. and gathering data on this. But it's like something crazy, like 40% of sellers hit their quota, which not to mention the attrition rate, right? So if you're a, on a sales floor and you're a sales leader, I, I distinguish between boss and leader. So if you're a sales boss and you're not like looking at those numbers and thinking, what does this do to the psyche of your team on a regular mm-hmm. basis, right? Plus, I mean, all the mental health implications, right? This is a, I know that a lot, when you're in a, a work environment where the model is outdated, which is almost <laughs> all of them, or maybe your community, right? So this is a universal experience. The the pains that well. we've all right mm-hmm. experienced from from this. But the, that said, in when you're selling and carrying a bag, if you do not hit your number, then you lose your job, and that never like you could have a good quarter or a good month or whatever that, and it's, you have what, like a weekend to celebrate it. And then it starts all over. So it's, um, that's why I'm thinking hard about like, how can we, how can I take what I just learned from this amazing book and translate that into, um, actionable, um, advice for, for my people. Well, it does Um, raise the question is, is the traditional back to our earlier conversation is the traditional mm-hmm. sales force, the right model going forward? No, like, I think not, yeah. right, we need to ask that question. Like, is the quota system is the bench of full-time sales? Like, is that the right model? Is there a different way? And there are companies out there that have, you know, don't have a traditional sales force. Can you, can you think of any off the top of your head? Um, I believe don't quote, I believe Atlassian, which is okay. a, it's the Australian software company that makes things like Jira. It's Sure. They, to my knowledge, at least in their, and for their first like five or six years, they did not have one because they were, it was all viral. It was all earnest. And, and yes, they had people that were evangelizing the product, but doing so not as a salesperson with a quota, but as a consultant or an advisor or whatever you want to call it, just helping to spread the gospel of that. This use, is a useful yeah. thing to use. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm going to so, dig into that. Yeah. And that sounds like something friends and listeners that we could investigate from a um, human cloud participant perspective. Um, more to come on that. All right, Matt. So in your, there's two now questions. One is a final is a piece of advice. Um, and I'll give it's what is one piece of advice about uncomfortable conversations. Um, but before we get to that, what is the most uncomfortable conversation that you've ever had to have? Let's say in a work scenario. Oh gosh, (laughs) so many. Um, well, it wasn't so much an uncomfortable conversation as an uncomfortable physical altercation. I had actually, in three different occasions on the same team, had to physically break up a fight. Really? Physically break up a fight between software developers. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, by the way, this is a sign that work environment matters because they were in, we were in a room called the Fishbowl, which was one room about the size of a concert room with 14 developers in it. The AC didn't work. Everybody sweated all the time and we were stuck in there for nine hours, 10 hours a day coding. Yeah. No wonder people broke out the fisticuffs. So, wow. All right. My piece of advice for uncomfortable conversations. Um, I struggle, I, I struggle with this too, right? You would think, oh, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. Now I should be better at it. Mm-hmm. I should be better at it. I'm not. Um, 
my advice is to own up to that and recognize it and then just work on being earnest and better about improving upon it. Uh, I try now. I still am very friendly and am very, you know, I'm I'm, I'm friendly. I'm a nice guy and I enjoy talking with my team, Mm -hmm. but I will check that at the door when I'm having a serious conversation where before I didn't, and it got really awkward because it was mixed messages. So when I have a tough message to deliver, I sort of just check friendly me at the door. I'm not mean, but I'm more focused on delivering the message clearly so that people can receive it in a constructive way. Wow. I don't think anyone said anything even close to that. Um, Mm. But in like an amazing way, that is phenomenal. Mm. That's a phenomenal piece of advice. Yeah. Because it, when at least if I interpreted that correctly, like when you when a person is trying to is thinking, oh, friend or thinking sugarcoat, then there is some ambiguity yes. in the way that the message is delivered. And that ambiguity doesn't help anyone, certainly doesn't help the before and after. Um, but that I've is. Heard- yeah, I've heard it referred to as the shit sandwich. <laughs> you, you put, you know, the oh, the shit compliment. In yeah, the nice shitty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Compliment because it might makes the person feel better. But the reality is, you don't want them to feel better. You want them to internalize it as a problem that needs addressed. And it's not them that's the problem. We're addressing the we're addressing the problem, not the person usually. And and yes, but if you if you sugarcoat it, you you lose that efficacy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That was, that's pretty excellent. Okay. So Matt, well, listeners, but first and foremost, and listen, if this has not been explicitly clear, let me say it again, just so that, that there is zero ambiguity of what I'm trying to communicate. The human cloud by the Matthews, how today's change makers use artificial intelligence and the freelance economy to transform work. This is a must read, not only just like a must read, it's like, stop what you're doing and but like click in the show notes and buy the damn book because I, yeah. Um, wow. And how, and I'll leave it with how do we get that Dan Pink quote? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Because, and then I want to know how the listeners yeah, can find you too. But so how did sure. you do that? Yeah. Because Mr. Matola is persistent. So, you know, I said, like, don't just, you know, don't just cold call people. Well, he has no shame in that. <laughs> he had, a, he had a random connection with him, sort of a very loose connection. And he just asked, he just asked, he said, would you be willing to do this? And, and he got back and said, sure, happy to give me some, suggest some language. Excellent. And he did go. that with Dan or with the random connection? With Dan. With, with Dan. Dan. Because yeah. Were... <gasps> yeah. Straight, okay. straight said, hey, we both know X and and I have a big fan. I'm a huge fan. I have a favorite to ask of you. Wow. That's sometimes uh, that works. <laughs> sometimes. And you know what I would suggest? It doesn't work unless you try it. So the answer is right. all the the answer to the question you never ask is no. Um, and or the answer is always no unless you ask. And unfortunately, Matt, I too have as someone that had a lot of doors slammed in her face. <laughs> <laughs> I believe there were some cease and desist letters on Viewabill. That was now, and friends, listeners, just so we know, that was a life changing software. We were um, uh, the client, whatever, industry. yeah, Trying kind of rocking industry. Rocking industry is a good way to describe it. So we were, we were. I've been carrying the flag of make the world a little bit greener than I found it for a while now. As has Matt. I don't have a TED talk, but like, you know, I've got to, I got to have somebody to look at and aspire to be with now the book and the TED talk, Jesus, Matt. Mm-hmm. All right. How can listeners find you? Anyone that's, that's interested in, in learning more or even from the CTO perspective? 
Yeah, um, I am. I'm always happy to anybody to reach out to me. The easiest place is LinkedIn. As Amy knows, I am on it way too much. I don't like Facebook. I'm never on. My wife is always on Facebook. I'm always on LinkedIn and she teases me about it relentlessly. So yes, LinkedIn, Matt, Coatney, Coat, like Coat, Winter Coat, Knee, um, like your joint. And uh, <laughs> it'll be linked in the out. show notes, friends. It's linked in there too. <laughs> there you go. So awesome. yeah, please do. I, I encourage it. I love the conversation. Awesome. And I can't wait to go find that talk that you gave yesterday or look into it. And Matt, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for making time for us. This is a phenomenal book. Phenomenal book. Thank you for taking the time to extract this brilliance from your brain and put it onto the page for, for the rest of us to derive meaning from. I'm ex- I'm very excited and proud and pleased and happy that the timing worked out as it did, because I don't think um, I've read anything as relevant and as needed, right? In a long time as as this bad boy. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm hugely honored by that. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, truth, love, and joy, friends. Thank you as well for hanging around for the remainder of the show and happy selling. Bye, Matt. So that was Matt Coatney on how AI and the freelance economy is transforming the way that we work. Anyone interested in learning more about this topic, and you should all be interested in learning more about this topic on principle, check out Matt's new book, The Human Cloud. And that wraps another installment of the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rahubchek. Thanks for hanging out today with us through the remainder of the show. It, it means the world. If you found any value in things discussed, do tell a friend. I take that as the highest compliment. Truth, love, and joy, friends. Happy selling.